You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Oh, baby! That's right. This is what I do. Come on. Get up, I get, get up, I get, get up, I get, yeah, 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 yo, first I snatched the streets, then I snatched the charts, first I had they ear, now I have they heart, rappers came Hello, and ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 111 of the 2, 5, and 10 podcast. We are officially here, Benny. We have down to two teams, fighting for Lord Stanley. Uh, I don't know if we predicted them right, if we didn't. I don't think one of these teams was on anybody's radar at the beginning of the year, but we are here, pal. I will say before the season started, I said my surprise team was Mon- would be Montreal. I had them winning the division, but then, you know, COVID happened and it lost Gallagher. Um, but they're playing since, I don't know, late April, the way that I... Well, you too. Like, you had them pegged to potentially win a division too that we thought they would play like all year but I don't think anybody had them in the Stanley Cup final so good work by the boys in Montreal I know that's tough to hear for some of our listeners in New England but um, you guys are kind of in a position of who you rooting for your historical rival or a team a new divisional rival that uh, kind of hindered you, your lunch a little bit the last few years yeah, no, t- talk about being stuck in a rock in a hard place. Don't really know which way to go with this one. Um, but, yeah, so it's Tampa Bay versus Montreal and Stanley Cup final. We will get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, I know we wanted to say a few words on each of the semifinal uh, matchups, Montreal and Vegas and Tampa the Islanders. I figured we'd start with Tampa and the Islanders as they just recently uh, finished their series with a one nothing Game 7 win for Tampa Bay. The only Game 7 in NHL history that ended up one nothing on a shorthanded goal. So a little bit of history we saw the other night. Um, what did you think about the Islanders playing game seven? And I'll just jump out, start off by saying, we talked about the Tampa Bay Lightning being able to probably win one or two games in a blowout. They got their one in game five, they eight nothing win. I didn't think they'd be able to win a one nothing game against the Islanders. No, uh, especially to that point, it, it just seemed that in a grinded-out type one-goal game, it seemed like the Islanders had had everybody's number this whole postseason. And then you come there and talk about, for a team like the Islanders, very stingy to give up a shorthanded goal. Like, yeah. that's like, oh, like the extra kick right in the stones. Uh, the narrative about the Islanders being basically a replica of the 95 Devils is completely backwards. They were one of the highest scoring teams in the playoffs. Uh, like, they're not a... I know they get the reputation because Trotz is their coach, and that's how they played the first year or so, year and a half, with him in Long Island. But they're not one-dimensional. And depending on how they handle... They get Andrews Lee back to start next year. Depending on how they handle some decisions in the top six with their forward group, they're the division contender. Like, ahead of Washington, ahead of Pittsburgh, ahead of Philly, 
Like, they're, I think they're a class of the Metropolitan Division, and I wouldn't be writing them off as just, you know, they went on a little bit of a run in two shortened seasons. No, I wouldn't say they went on a little bit of a run. I think uh, they have definitely proven that they are a team that is not to be messed around with. I mean, I, I think even up until last year, people kind of just pushed them off as, ah, it's the Islanders, you know, they'll choke, they'll do this, do that. I mean, they are a very tough team to play against. They play a very hard brand of hockey. They are going to wear you down little by little. And I think the biggest thing with them is just any time they usually get a chance, it ends up in your net. And just as a hockey team or, you know, a player, there is nothing worse than knowing that you have to play mistake-free hockey. Because any time there's that chance, like, it it kills you. And it's like, you, you went right on the pass, your guy cut left, and you're like, Fuck! Here we go. Two on one. I can already like you know. I can see the writing on the wall. It's gonna happen. So, talk about that shorthanded goal. We did a full video and play analysis before we hit record. So that you know, kind of shame on us. But we were talking about how the Islanders played that extremely poorly. I know uh, Bailey, Letty, and Palmieri were at the end of their shifts to start the power play, so it might be a little bit of uh, being gassed there. But just for a disciplined team like the Islanders to one, make a bad change, even mm-hmm. though it was a long change for them, but two, to have three guys just out of position, Letty not playing a body there when he's facing a guy who's by himself in the offensive zone shorthanded. Just, I, re- I think, a real kick in the nuts, on, and that's how your season ends. Yeah, I mean, for a way to the season to end, I mean, for a team that is built on discipline and hard work uh, that back check like you said we broke down the video before we came on as to who's to blame there who's in the right spot who's not i mean all three of them are completely liable you know kyle palmieri comes down there and on his back check he kind of just expects sorelli to chip the puck behind the net and he's just kind of in the space there like not doing anything and now sorelli turns up ice instead and it's like oh god but, like, we're not anywhere close. I mean, Brock Nelson doesn't even have his stick in the passing lane, does not pick up the guy coming down. Letty doesn't put him into the boards there. Like, shame on all three of them. That that makes that a very tough way to end your year. Yeah, and by the way, Yanni Gord, a favorite of ours. I don't care. I mean, we kind of used the J.T. Miller deal as a benchmark without giving up the first round pick like Vancouver did. But if I'm the Rangers, and you're talking about Gallant being introduced, talking about being difficult to play against, not being tough, but being difficult to play against, Yanni Gord as a trade target is number one on my list, even though he might be slightly overpaid for a fourth-line center, but he's a fourth-line center on Tampa. If he's with the Rangers, he's playing second-line right wing next to Panarin because of the style of play he has. So he's a number one on my target list seeing if Tampa Bay needs a little bit of help with that salary cap. Yeah, I started laughing. I saw this meme that was posted today, and it said that uh, due to that cross-check from uh, Pelic that uh, Kucherov has already put on IR for the 21-22 season. <laughs> so I started laughing. I'm like, oh, what do we have that? Already on IR, the whole team's going to be back, and then right back right at it before playoff time. So that, that would made me laugh. And the other thing that... Like, 
I've gone on a little bit of a uh, rant against how NBC produces hockey still after over a decade. They still don't get it. But the handshake line. They don't show the handshake line between Kucherov, who somehow managed to shoot up for Game 7 in Mayfield. But before the game started, Patty Maroon is basically threatening the life of Mayfield at the center right red line. They don't show that either. Just a total like loss and lack of awareness of like, okay, handshake line, what's some storyline could happen? Is there going to be any bad blood? Let's follow these guys. Nothing. So, good riddance. I can't wait until we move ESPN, who has experience with us, and TNT, and see how they do. Because NBC still doesn't get it. With no pre- or post-game shows during a regular season, it smooths the buzzer sounds. It's, all right, and we're off to Talladega. And then that's it. And then whenever there's a fight or a scrum, they cut to the crowd. Like, it's ridiculous. Some so glad that we have at most seven more games left well i i was gonna say i i know one thing is that uh espn and tnt i mean they, they live for drama and <laughs> i think that they're going to be pitching this as much as they can i mean yeah just knowing that there's possibility of what's going on i mean that would keep me in the fray i mean if i'm just an avid sports fan saying Oh yeah. shit! It looks like these these two guys are yelling at each other on the red line. You know, before the game, I wonder what's going to happen. Huh? Why Tune does it to find out. matter to me? That's how they need to market it. Why yeah. Why should somebody care about this game? Be- Not just assume that they're the only people that are watching it care about it already. Yeah. Because someone's going to get their face punched in. Tune yeah. in. You'll love it. By the way, the last thing about the Islanders here heading to the offseason, Zizekas is a free agent. They. Uh, because yeah, it's their expansion pick, and then that fourth line, and then they have to kind of rebuild that team identity. Have a clutterbuck deal, mean holdover. The the clutterbuck thing is uh, interesting to me because he is not like on a team friendly deal by any means. And for the style of hockey that he plays, like, he plays a very hard brand. But, I mean, he's getting paid three and a half a year, which is okay. 33 years old, I mean, like, there's a lot of wear and tear on that body. Like, Cal yeah. Clutterbuck is probably looks like a fucking 50-year-old off the ice. Just, <laughs> uh, I mean, just the way that he plays the game, you know? Like, just hard nose, I mean, hits anything that moves, like... I can only imagine when that guy walks into the training room in the morning and the amount of ice packs that the trainers just cover him in on the table just to get the body going. Like, oh, that looks like a yeah, big one. I wonder one. how he's going to be when he's, like, in his 60s. Oh, just just beat up. Hopefully the knees and yeah. the hips keep up. But, yeah, so that's another storyline to look out for if you're an Islanders fan. Uh, moving over to the other semifinal really quick instead of saying out west, but... Montreal finishes the upset again, knocking out Vegas. Uh, word came out that Alec Martinez was playing with a broken foot the entire playoffs, so a little bit of cover given to him by the Golden Knights on his positioning and play on that uh, game-winning goal in Game 6. But Montreal, even when we recorded like five days ago, we're like, yeah, we still think Vegas is going to win it, and then he just shoved it up our ass with two straight wins. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Montreal looked good. Uh, foot on the gas there, to, all the pressure, put it them on Vegas. Vegas was on their heels. Uh, 
yet again, we dealt with the goaltending thing. Flurry in Game 5, then Leonard in Game 6. Uh, could have just been too much flip-flopping there. And Yeah. I mean, because the other part of it, too, was say that game goes the other way, they win in overtime. Now you're going to Game 7. I mean, are you going back to Flurry or are you sticking with Leonard? Like, yeah, that's I, the thing, man. The back and forth, I don't get it with DeBoer. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to say it right now. I do not believe that Pete DeBoer is an elite-level coach in this league. I, I think his decisions and the way that he coaches have proved it. And um, I think if Vegas had won and gotten there and met John Cooper, I, I don't think Vegas had a chance there. And I, I like Vegas, but I, I think it would have been Tampa in five. Yeah, I mean, going back, we were talking about this too. Going back to his last year or two in San Jose, carrying over into Vegas – I don't know, like, I know they fired Gallant and moved immediately into DeBoer, but to me, is DeBoer getting more out of the Vegas roster than another coach would have, or is he getting exactly what a an above-average coach in the NHL would be getting out of this roster? Like, if you, if you remove DeBoer, does it make a difference? And I'm not saying that as, like, a complete knock on him, it's just... Vegas is Vegas at this point. I don't see any discernible difference between how they played under Gallant and how they're playing under DeBoer in terms of results. So I'm not quite exactly sure what's going on. And like I said earlier before we started, if McPhee didn't make that decision and basically put his reputation on the line with the DeBoer hiring, I would be letting go of DeBoer because mm-hmm. two disappointing playoff exits, I mean – you're kind of going backwards because now you're starting to get into a situation where they're completely pressed up against the cap. They're going, they went balls to the wall for Petrangelo, and then they have Pacioretty. They, have, well, they bring in Leonard and have Flurry, $12 million set up in a goaltending, and they still can't get over the hump. Yeah, they, I think they need to improve their center position still, but I just don't know if DeBoer is the guy, and I feel like DeBoer is more of a guy who not to still talk about the guy, but you ha- when you're in a rebuild, you bring in a coach like Quinn, and then when you're ready to turn a corner and start contending, you bring in a coach like DeBoer, and then when you realize, okay, our window is closed and we need to win now, you bring in someone else after DeBoer. It's like the uh, evolution of NHL coaching. <laughs> I mean, the, the other part of it, too, with DeBoer is uh, you look at it when he was in charge of Jersey. He, he goes up against the Kings there, ends up losing – uh, San Jose makes it to the finals there, ends up losing, and now he has this, ends up losing, and it's like, I, I don't want to say when is enough enough, but it's just, what's going on, and why is it so lame and shitty? It's just like, you expect better from certain coaches, and... I think Pete DeBoer, if you want to expect the best or if you want to be an elite coach in this league, you got to win these games. And it's just, I think now it's a tarnish on his resume instead of, you know, when he's finally done with Vegas, like, oh, you got to pick him up. I think it's going to be, uh, well, let's see who else is on the market. <laughs> well, this also, the thing is, when you're the best teams in the league two years in a row and you get upset in back-to-back playoffs, the question starts becoming, that's not a talent issue. That's a mentality issue, and that's what directly correlates to the coaching. Just as much as the scheme, in my mind, in NHL. So 
it's kind of like what Washington went under with uh, Bujo, where every year they win the President's Trophy and then get knocked out in the first or second round. Can they go over to Hump? They realize, hey, this guy's just not the guy that can do it. He's a great X's and O's guy. See, power play racks up the points in the regular season, but not the guy when he's facing another highly competent coach and another highly coached team that he can solve it. And maybe that's the class that DeBoer falls under. It very well could be, yeah. So, all right. So let's get to the Stanley Cup final. Tampa Bay versus Montreal. We'll get to our predictions. What, I guess, kind of laid the groundwork here. Who do you think right now, in this this week, is a better goaltender? That's number one, my first question to you. My second question is, if Kucherov doesn't play, which I doubt he wouldn't because if he played game seven, he's going to play in the final unless he gets hurt again. But if he's not 100%, does that make any significant difference? Because Tampa Bay almost won a division this year without him, and they were still better than Montreal this year, who was 18th best in the league uh, record-wise. And three, do you see any way a team like Montreal would be able to keep up offensively with Tampa Bay, with or without Kucherov, based on their play in the last two and a half rounds? Uh, so, so as for the first question as to who is the better goaltender today, I mean, I, I think Carrie is hot right now. I, I think Carrie's very hot right now. Um, but on the other side of things, it's not like Vasilevsky's play has fallen off. He, he's been no. consistent the whole way through. So is it, are we riding a quote unquote hot goalie or are we riding a goalie who's just kind of on his normal trajectory. So if we have to pick one, I'll, I'll say I'm riding with Carrie. Um, what was the next question, number two? Uh, Kucherov. Kucherov, the, this is my only problem with Kucherov, is that they are not going to be naive that there's an injury there. They're not. And, and after every play and after every whistle, Petrie's going to be there, Shea Weber's going to be there, someone's going to be giving it to him in the ribs. I do think... You know, you brought up the point of how good they have been this regular season without him. But look at how good he's been this postseason. Yeah. I think that's a crucial part. If they are able to get him out, I do think that that dictates the series. I think it pushes it in Montreal's favor. Uh, next question. What, what was it? I'm sorry. I was trying to do go you to think all the Montreal moment. offense would be able to keep up at 5v5 because mm. I know. They have, I think, the best penalty kill in the playoffs, and Tampa Bay has the best power play, so that's an interesting matchup in terms of, you know, a lot of these series. Yeah, who's going to give later You get turns on special teams. Um, they're pretty evenly matched in goal. Like, you look at the playoff stats for both Price and uh, Vasilevsky, pretty, almost identical. You look at the team defense, pretty evenly matched so for me it comes down to five versus five and generating offense and converting so what do you think montreal can win that matchup that that is probably the hardest question right now i i don't think on a five on five they can they have it i think they've played very well um i think they're they're players that need to play a certain role here have all done that, and they've been extremely effective. Brendan Gallagher, I mean, 
balls as big as the building. The the kid is going to block every shot. He's going to hit every person, and he's going to give you everything he has. Uh, Josh Anderson, the big fellow's over there. He's bumping. He's causing havoc. Tyler Tuckle scoring goals. Um, I think where Montreal can win the cup here is Philip Dinal. Like how how good is Philip Dinal going to be? Because well, I guess the other part of it is how good are the others going to be outside of Dinal? Because say Dinal can go in there and he can shut down Kucherov, or he could shut down Point. Are the other guys going to be able to pick up their man? Like the Suzuki line comes in. Yeah, and I mean, I think Cole Caulfield, anytime he gets a chance, he's going to bury the fucking puck. He's proved that this whole postseason. So now it's like, these guys need to, A, like, like, because now it's not just go out there and score a goal. Now it's, okay, go out there, shut down Braden Point, uh, jump on one foot, chip it by the D, zoom by him and snipe on top shelf, and then go out and do it again. Yeah. Can they do it? I think they can. I, I think Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki have cemented their their selves, their stature, this team, in a very high trajectory going forward. I, I think I don't want to say the faces of the NHL, but this team, this team's history, this province, I mean, these guys are going to be superstars just because of where they are. Yeah, and the the thing for me, you touched on Denault. He, his line, him and Gallagher have basically, I know they're technically the first line for Montreal, but they're basically a complete shutdown line. They, sh- they made Mark Stone miserable, no points in the entire series last round. They kept Matthews and Marner in check. So I think if Kucherov is playing at 50%, and it looked like he was playing at a lot less in Game Mm 7, but let's say he's playing at 50%, that neutralizes the point line in my mind. And point's still going to get his. Like, you don't get nine straight without being able to find a way. So he's going to get his. It's just about limiting the amount of... uh, Amount of times with the buffet line he gets to go to. Yeah. But the issue for me with Montreal, so both teams are very good at driving play. Mm-hmm. Like, they're both over 55%. The issue for Montreal is they're one of the worst teams at converting those chances, and Tampa Bay is the best. Up and down the lineup. And for me, the issue here is the depth. Armia, it came, it came out today that he's in the COVID protocol, he's probably not playing in game one. That hurts their fourth line. The third line with Bottering, Anderson, and Cookie Diniemi, I think it's going to get fucking run into the ground by the Gord line. And that, to me, so everybody talks about, can Denos shut down point? Can the Suzuki line continue with their hot play and provide the clutch goal scoring? Because they've scored big goals, but they're not super consistent. To me, the, the issue is going to be both top sixes are going to get theirs and are going to get shut down by each other. But when it comes to the third and fourth line, I think Tampa Bay is just going to own play. And I think that, to me, is the one glare. I want to be wrong in a way. Like, obviously, I'm not a huge fan of Montreal either. I'm not a huge fan of Canadian fans, to be honest. I have nothing against the teams. Mostly the fans have an issue with. 
but I also have an issue with Tampa Bay winning back-to-back, so I'm kind of, like, stuck here. And to me, that's the issue. So if even if Kucherov's at 50%, I think it's going to boil down to, is Johnny Gord still going to be playing out of his mind like he has been in the last two rounds in the final? And if so, does Montreal have an answer for that? And that might mean the Petrie and Edmondson line needs to get paired up with the Anderson-Edmondson line needs to be paired up with the Anderson third pair just to kind of help neutralize Gord, Goudreau, and Coleman. But Montreal, the last basically all playoff long, their biggest X factor was their advantage and goal, and that's neutralized with Vasilevsky. So I think those are the two issues that scare me the most with Montreal and make me feel okay if I'm a Lightning's fan, even if Kucherov isn't close to being 100%. Now, one thing, just because I, you know, I always kind of process shit a little bit differently here. Uh, Dominique Ducharme goes out. For testing positive for COVID, yep. Luke Richardson comes in and does a incredible job. Yeah. I mean, closes out that series, does exactly what he wants to do. Has the boys playing appropriate? That's uh, former Blue Jacket Luke Richardson to you, my friend. <laughs> yes, but but going a little bit deeper, they say that Ducharme should be ready to go for Game Three. Do you bring him back? Is that that's that's what I'm thinking? Do you bring him back? Listen, if I'm Duchamp and Montreal, if my team's up two games to none over Tampa Bay, I'm not coming back. Like I'm gonna be like, no, 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 I ain't going anywhere near this fucking team. <laughs> Boys are rolling. I'm, like everybody's superstitious. I would I would guarantee you that if Tampa if Montreal is up two games to none and he's clear for Game Three, he's going to be sitting in the press box. Yeah, I just. I don't know, that, that's just one of those things I think about and how the team's been going, and it's not a shot at Ducharme as a coach, no. but just as how smooth it's been without him there. Could um, you imagine if they were up two games to none, he comes back for game three and then they lose like four straight? Dude, I mean, they would burn his house to the ground. <laughs> um, that's what I'm saying, like if they're up, he ain't coming anywhere near that bench, at least if I were him. And, and one of the next things I have is this. How in the fucking world... Can you, as the province or the the country of Canada and the province of Quebec, we had we still basically have a shutdown, stay at home order, blah blah. Everything is going there very slowly, little by little. Now, they're only letting in. They they have not changed the actual amount of people coming in. I believe it's thirty five hundred in the middle. That's fucking ridiculous, man. Dude, they had 30,000 fucking people outside the Bell Center the other night. Maskless, running through the street. Fill that place up. You want electricity? You want atmosphere? Fill it up. You want home ice advantage? Fill it up. Like, I just... I don't know what more uh, the NHL needs or what Canada needs or what the province of Quebec needs. Like... Fill that fucking arena up. Tampa's full. Everywhere else in the States has been full. I, I just don't know why up there it is still a lockdown well, they're order. Not as vac- their vaccination program hasn't been as successful or as robust as it has been in the States, which is which is one issue. But two, this is the issue like Trudeau and the Canadian government has been overly cautious. So, hold on. I'm going to see if I can find it while I'm talking here. But... I agree with your point. 
they still have a few days until Game 3 in Montreal because first two are in Tampa Bay. They have a few days to come to their senses. If, if I, why can't you make it where only vaccinated fans can go? It doesn't have to be just everybody can go, and all of a sudden now it's a super spreader. If you're vaccinated, you can go. Boom, done, problem solved. Nobody needs to worry about catching it or spreading it. There's no problem, and you solve the atmosphere. I don't understand the holdup, but let me see if I can find how many people you bet. And and I I also don't get to when we speak about the vaccinations and things like that for a country that has free health care. Free universal health care. Well, there's a little glimpse into uh, government-run health care for you. Uh, I just, like, dude, here, uh, like, I didn't pay anything out of pocket for my COVID shot to do. Nope. I just had to register. Yeah. So so I just don't know. I mean, magically, the, the states here in the U.S. and the country as a whole was able to bring them in. Someone's footing the bill. I don't know who the fuck it is. It's probably me. Okay, so I have the numbers as of today. All right. Okay. In Quebec. 69.7% of the population has received at least one dose. Okay, so 70%. so 70%, yeah. The entire country of Canada is at 67% have that have received at least one dose. Now, being fully vaccinated, it's in the 20s, but that's because they have to wait two weeks. Correct. You have, you have to wait. Well, that's the other part of it, too. After that second shot, it's two weeks before you're fully vaccinated, too. Yeah. So from day so, to day... The numbers should rise. Yeah. So they even said after one shot, you're not at full protection, but you're still at, I think it was like 75 to 80% protected against coronavirus or at least severe symptoms of it. Mm -hmm. So just open it the fuck up, man. Or at least, what is Gulf Center? Wherever the fuck they're calling it these days. Was it like 20,000 fully seated? Yeah, they're more than here. So yeah, they're probably about 20, 22. Yeah. Half full. This 3,500 shit is ridiculous. I mean, like I said, you, you want it to run the way it's supposed to. Let me see. Hold on. I got it right here. I got it right here. Uh, seating. How many people does it fucking hold? For hockey, it holds 21,302. Put it at 50%, you get 10K. Boom, done. Almost as much as all of NASA Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I don't know if you have any other angles to talk about before we get into our predictions, but... I, I got one one question for you. Well, I guess it could lead into your prediction. I mean, yeah, is Patty Maroon going to go back to back to back? The natural hat trick, as Eddie O said. <laughs> the natural hat trick. The big rig himself. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. That guy... Uh, i say this in a loving way. The biggest fucking gorilla on the ice, man. Like, any, you can just spot him. You could be blind, and you'd be able to know when Maroon's out on the ice. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the hair now, too, is just an added bonus. I mean, yeah. that that is some silky that is some silky hair there. Um, I think he's going to be able to pull it off. I, my, my heart is telling me Montreal. My brain is telling me Tampa Bay. And just because... It's kind of like whack-a-mole. You shut down Braden Point, you got to deal with Samkos. You shut down Hedman, you got to deal with McDonough. You get past all those guys, you have to deal with Vasilevsky. It's just like a never-ending supply of shit you have to overcome when you're playing Tampa Bay. And oh, by the way, they have the best power play in the game and one of the best coaches in the game. So it's a daunting task to beat these guys. You saw a team like the Islanders, they still couldn't do it. 
they couldn't get over the hump. Like, a guy like Trot still can't get past Tampa Bay. So, I'm going to go Tampa Bay in six with my brain, my heart saying Montreal in seven. <laughs> I feel the exact same way because it's like, I have bet against Montreal in every single one of yeah. these series. Every <laughs> one of them. And it's at the point now where it's like, I don't think I can bet against them. I just think that some way, somehow, they're going to come in and squeak this out. Like, I just, I have full confidence. And it's just one of those things of how do they beat Tampa? And that's the biggest question for me is how do they beat them? Because I think Tampa, in all facets, outside of the goaltending being a push, is better than them on every level. And like you're not sure all the key to the series is you got to have Price play the way he has. He has been, and you need your you need Armia back as quickly as possible. But you got to keep it five on five. And I know Tampa Bay is the best team in the league at converting scoring chances five on five. But you can't give them power play opportunities. Like they need to if. They're playing six or seven games, and they give Mont- if they give Tampa Bay more than ten power plays in those overall in the series, they're going to lose the series. They need to play five on five as long as possible. And I mean, like you said, I mean, I don't see Carey Price just magically turning it off right now. But if there is any decline in Carey Price's play, this series is over, it's and it's over quick. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing that has me my heart going for Montreal. As a fan of an original six team who had an elite and all-time great goaltender for basically his entire career and couldn't get him a Stanley Cup, I feel for Price fans and Carey Price himself. And now that I see an opportunity for someone like him who put has put his head down, has been one of the, he's dealt with the standard off-ice bullshit that any franchise guy in Montreal has to deal with. Hasn't peeped up. Gets involved. Gets involved in the rough stuff, which we all appreciate. My heart. I'm just pulling for him to get a Stanley Cup. Like, I hate seeing guys go... Guys who've earned it and deserve it go an entire career without getting the opportunity. Agreed. I I want one for Carrie. I want one for Shea Weber. And I, I, I want one for Corey Perry on the way out. I mean... I know a lot of people aren't a fan of Corey Perry, but I mean that guy. He got one in Anaheim, but I mean the the guy just he he plays hard at this late in life. I mean that that could just be it, you know. He's like thirty seven. Yeah, thirty seven. But I mean this late in the career, I mean that's a. I think it'll probably be it for him instead of jumping around like he did from Dallas to Montreal. I think it'll just be a. uh, I think if they win, he retires. I think if he doesn't win. He'd come back for one more year, but only for Montreal. Yeah, I was saying, I think he's definitely going to play hockey next year if they don't win. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm going Tampa in six for the uh, logical standpoint, and my heart's going Montreal in seven. Yeah, so we're both in the same spot. Game one is tomorrow night. We're recording this on Sunday, so Monday, June twenty eighth is game one. All on NBC. The last few games with the NBC broadcast teams. I hope it's a long series. I hope we have a bunch of overtime because this is it. Then we hit the long summer, and then hockey's not back until September. So hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's a long series. And in the end, you know, even if Tampa Bay wins it, like we have some a good group of guys in that roster who will get back to back and kind of 
get the monkey off their backs even more. So we'll go from there. Uh, one other thing that we just need to touch on before we let you guys go is the scandal with the Blackhawks. And oh yeah. Uh, so in 2010, the video coach or then video analyst Brad Aldridge sexually assaulted one of the Blackhawks players. Uh, it is all now coming to fruition, and the Blackhawks never reported it after it was reported to their management team. Never went to the police, swept it under the rug, and then after that, on top of it, they ended up. Um, I don't want to say firing Aldridge. They didn't renew his contract. And he goes on to work with a U18 team. So, And then he assaulted somebody there. Yes. And, and, I mean, they have to be fully responsible for that part of it. Like, knowing that th- this guy was trying to do it with professional athletes, and then you're going to send him to a U18 team? Like, you you as a Chicago Blackhawks couldn't call whatever that team was or wherever and say, hey, you know what, I, I, you know, I don't want to blow this guy up. I don't want to say, but, like, don't give him that job. Or he can't have that job. Yeah. But... The thing for me, and I said this to you, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. It's just trying to wrap my head around how can a professional hockey player... I'm not saying like let it happen to him, but like how does he not pummel the shit out of the fucking guy and then make a huge stink about it? Like how does this come out 11 years later and then they also said the entire team knew? How is this going on with 30 year old, 25 plus year old professional athletes who play a sport like hockey? How the fuck is he just able to do it and like no repercussion? Like from the guys. I just wonder like the other end of it, like. We don't know which player it was. But if you're a younger guy here, you know, you're trying to stay in the lineup, a Stanley Cup winning lineup, mind you. And now it's like you got this guy whipping out his packer. Or he was trying to whip out yours and do the business on you, whichever way it was. But now, I mean, the the problem is... This kid's going to report it, and the other guy's going to instantly deny it, and now you're instant headache in the room. Like, I feel like that's the one downfall of hockey, at least at this point, of things of the past and just the mold that people deem that they need to be. These kids are going to come forward, like you said, with something that's going on right now, and they're going to say, uh... this guy's a pussy. I mean, he can't be a hockey player. You, you know, you can't go out there and fight. He's over here whining oh, about no, something or causing a problem. No, no, I'm just saying just transparency of yeah. a team and the way things are thought of. Because in 2010 till now, I mean, a lot of things are not looked at in the same light as they are now. And, and I think at that point there, I mean, you got a kid who's going, shit, I mean, I'm probably, if I come forward with this, I'm screwed. I'll be out of town quicker than I know it. Well, let's say it was the younger guy in the team or a guy who wasn't as uh, developed with the Blackhawks organization and he was a little apprehensive about coming forward there for the reasons you listed. Every Multiple former players who were on that team have come out. They haven't put their name to it, but said everybody in the locker room knew, mm-hmm. right? That's what they said, yep. Everyone knew. Yeah. You know what that means to me? 
Where's the actual fucking leadership of Jonathan Taves? That's a fair call. You're not going to get banished from the league. You're not going to get placed on waivers. You're the fucking captain. Why don't you speak up then and actually speak up for one of the guys on your on your own fucking team? That, to me, is a bad look for Duncan Keith, Taves, Crawford, and Kaner on that one. Uh, know what I want to see, and I'm going to check it right now as we're going. I want to see who that actual coaching staff was. And I'm going to say one point of... Well, right? It was Quenville, but I want to see who who the other coaches were because if it was indeed um, Kevin Deneen, I'll tell you what Kevin Deneen got you know popped for drunk driving when he was in Portland, and he mean, uh, if it was Kevin Deneen, I mean if Kevin Deneen was one of the assistant coaches here as a guy who got popped for drunk driving and had the whole book thrown at him. Yeah. By the legal system, and now they're not even going to push out something like that. Like, like that's where I think it's bullshit. And yeah. for a guy like that who had had to deal with it and had to go through that on his own end, I mean, it, that's not something you can just sweep away. And that's uh, just uh, I don't know. It, it seems like on all ends, it's an ugly situation. And uh, who was it? Uh, Mark Bergevin, the Montreal GM, was the assistant uh, general manager there when this had happened. And he came forward and he said that he uh, was unaware of all this while it had happened. Yeah, I doubt I doubt that. Just, um, just stating what he said, that's all. Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling up the roster, right? Mm-hmm. This was not a young team. No, not a young like, team. Let's let's run through the names, and this is going back to like back then. Dave Boland wasn't like a, a veteran, respected guy around the league just yet. He was right on a cu- cusp of that. But yeah, Marion Hosa, Patrick Kane, uh, where is it? John Scott, Patrick Sharp, Victor Stahlberg, Jonathan Taves, Nick Boynton, Brian Campbell, Chris Campoli, Jason Cullimore. Uh, Duncan Keith, Big Brent Seabrook, Nick Letty, Corey Crawford, and Marty Turco. You tell me none of those guys can fucking speak up? Yeah. That's my problem with it. I have no problem if it ended up being one of these young guys on the team, or maybe it was a guy who was up and down from the AHL to Chicago throughout the season, and he felt uncomfortable speaking up. But if everybody didn't know, at least in the locker room, maybe Bergeron didn't know. But let's say everybody in the locker room knew and they didn't speak up for their teammate. Shame on them. Agreed. Well, th- this is going to be an awful transition because I just said it in my own mind. But um, speaking of touching, what, what, <laughs> I know, awful. <laughs> speaking of touching, what are your thoughts on touching the conference trophies? Personally, I believe that you need to enjoy the ride uh, obviously i know that the stanley cup is the biggest prize yeah but if you make it all the way to the conference finals and then you lose in the stanley cup you didn't get shit and yeah. we've seen this happen with plenty of teams pittsburgh did it the first year they went against detroit they lost they didn't touch the trophy the next year they touched it uh with tampa bay they touched it last year and they touched it again this year like i'm a big fan of the process and like that's just another rung going up the ladder like you know what celebrate that yes we're conference champions but we know that tomorrow we now need to move forward to the next goal 
for me, the only time I think it's okay to buy into that superstition and not touch it is if you're a team that hasn't won in forever and has like this almost like this uh, curse or black cloud hanging over you like when push comes to shove you you never get over the hump and in that case like the 94 Rangers not touching that fucking trophy like it's been 54 years we're not touching it (laughs) but if you're a team like Tampa I'm putting my hands all over that thing. It's just a fucking piece of metal, like, at that point. So, yeah, I'm kind of in a boat of if you give it power, it has power over you. So mm-hmm. don't give it any power. That's fair. All right. Any uh, shout-outs this week? Uh, no, no shout-outs this week. Coles is being her good good little self, finally being quiet this episode and not squeaking toys as soon as we start talking. I was going to say, I didn't hear any squeaks today. <laughs> Uh, but no, pretty uh, low key. And uh, well, shout out to you for the lovely text message I received yesterday. That's right, motherfucker. You you hold on to that too. <laughs> so, what who you got? I, I have a big shout out this week. I have a shout out for uh, Brian and Sheena. They're they're getting married relatively soon, and we had gone out with them on Friday night, and I got offered a uh, a job of a lifetime. They asked me to marry them, so I'm gonna go and uh become an ordained minister and I'm going to do their ceremony which is kind of cool. You should wear a military outfit like Joey on Friends. <laughs> uh, I, I was asked to wear blue so if they have an Air Force one I might be able to sneak by. But I uh, necessarily offered you a job as a video coordinator. <laughs> no, that, no, no, no. That, 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 you offered me that. You, you offered me that in a time and I can work from home in my underwear so life's pretty good. But uh, no, so very excited about that. I thought that was cool. And um yeah, uh, I'm excited. I guess I do weddings now, so uh, I'll, I'm going to print out some cards, you know, case the ordained minister, here to marry you. So uh, if you need a penny, you just let me know. My services are free to you, and we'll go from there, pal. I will let you know. And just future programming note, we will be recording before Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final just to kind of go over the first four games, and just in case, because... We want to talk to you guys one more time before our Stanley Cup champion is crowned, and we want to get some analysis in. And we'll probably start this new feature where we're going to dissect a play, going back to our days in Worcester, going over some video, um, and we'll post along a, a video so you guys can follow along visually as well and just kind of dissect a key goal or a key peak, uh, penalty kill, something like that, and kind of add that to the mix. And we'll show you boys where we made our bread and butter, so life is good, baby. <laughs> So, everybody, thank you as always. Benny just had a great breakdown there at the end, so I ain't got nothing else besides we will see you before Game 5. Bye-bye. This is for all you sophisticated ladies out there. in the city in a little subdivision her daddy wore a tie mama never fried a chicken ballet straight a's most likely to succeed they bought her a car after graduation sent her down south for some higher education put her on a fast